0: Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. And along with my brother, Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word.
1: That's right, Jimmy. We're going to go to our normal broadcast partners. One of our favorite is Ken Timberman. He looks at geopolitical affairs. And we're going to take a look around the world at things that are taking place not only in Ukraine, but also Russia, Europe, and the Middle East. And then after that, we're going to talk with Dave Dolan. Dave gives us our Middle East news update. And this week, we're going to focus on the city of Jerusalem and specifically the Temple Mount.
0: This last Friday, there were over 150,000 Islamic Muslim worshipers on the Temple Mount, Harma al Sharif, in the city of Jerusalem. We're going to take a look at that and why the Temple Mount is so very important, not only to Judaism, it's the number one holiest site in Judaism. In Islam, it's the third most holiest site behind Mecca and Medina, and then, of course, to Christians from the past, the present, and the future, where Jesus Christ will rule and reign from. Well, let's get started with our first broadcast partner, Ken Timmerman.
1: Well, Ken Timmerman joins us today. He's our expert on geopolitical affairs. He's an established author and journalist. Ken, as usual, thank you for joining us.
2: Yeah, Rick, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, the first place we go this week is the first place we've been going every week. But I just wanted to get an update on the Ukrainian crisis. How do you see the situation playing out there right now in Ukraine?
2: Well, look, uh, increasingly, we are seeing this extraordinary resistance by the Ukrainians. Uh, They are beating the Russians on the battlefield. It's not a sure thing that that's going to continue But they have really had extraordinary victories around Kyiv, and they have driven the Russians out. The Russians did not evacuate. They were driven out of the Kyiv area. And you can see how brutal their occupation was uh, just in some of the news reports that we've started to get. But the coming battle in the Donbass is going to be different, and the terrain is different. Uh, It is a more open level terrain, open fields. It is tank-fighting terrain, and there the Russians still have a very big superiority, both in terms of numbers of tanks and probably in their supply lines. So if the Ukrainians are going to win the tank battle, they're going to have to get a lot more tanks.
1: Well, Ken, my next question, the success of Ukraine, and I know you said nothing is assured yet, but the success of Ukraine has a joke circulating around, and that joke is maybe after the war is over, NATO will be asking to join Ukraine. So I I just I think that's a tongue in cheek joke. But I'm just wondering, what does this mean for the future of NATO?
2: Well, that joke, Rick, is actually being told by soldiers in Ukraine. Uh, Look, it's a very serious thing. NATO is uh, undergoing a reevaluation of where it stands today and where it's going in the future. Countries are rearming. Everybody understands that next on Putin's hit list are the three Baltic republics, the tiny countries of Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia. And we've seen in recent uh, weeks, um, NATO countries moving assets into those countries, the U.S., Has brought over several thousand troops into Estonia. They've been holding uh, we've we've been holding joint exercises with the Estonian military and with NATO. Uh, Estonia is increasing its military expenses, and their prime minister recently uh, said that if Russia dared to attack them, uh, they would fight to the last man, woman, and child, basically to the last bullet that they have. So we are actually facing war on the European continent. Uh, In a serious way, as a serious prospect uh, in in ways that really haven't been thought of since 1948.
1: Well, it does seem like the way that the world and especially the European Union has dealt with Russia is certainly changing for the future, isn't it?
2: Uh, It is. The big uh, play in my mind is going to be how the Germans deal with their dependence on Russian natural gas. They still have Nord Stream 1. Uh, They're getting natural gas from Russia today. That's how they heat their houses. Uh, there it's easier for them to cut off purchases of russian oil but gas not so much so if the germans are willing to wean themselves or able to wean themselves off of russian gas that could be a big sea change for how europe organizes itself and you, and you can see even that you know there are some members uh, some some senior officials of the european union like the commissioner for economy paolo gentiloni who told a press conference recently that the war in ukraine and the isolation of russia means The end of globalization. Now, you and I, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners, would be very happy to see that. (laughs) But to to have a globalist acknowledge in public that this war means the, the end of globalization is, I think, pretty significant.
1: Well, we'll move away from the crisis in Ukraine and focus on the Middle East for a minute. One of the things that President Biden, when he came into office is he distanced himself from Saudi Arabia, who it seems like Trump had a very good relationship with. And that is is going to have effects. And, and one of the effects is that they might start pricing their oil in yuan instead of dollars. Uh, that is
2: hugely significant. And it's something, by the way, the Chinese have coveted. They have sought after this for many, many years. There's this longstanding plan that the Chinese and the Russians have discussed for over a decade to have a new joint currency backed by gold. Uh, The Russians currently have 23% gold backing of their currency, larger than any country in the world, I should say, to be more specific, backing of their foreign currency reserves. And the Chinese are also huge, huge holders of gold. They have enormous gold reserves. And to see the Chinese using the yuan to buy oil basically is a move that would displace the dollar from being the oil currency of the world. If they can buy, use yuan, which have been non-convertible up until now with the Saudis and the Saudis buy into this, uh, this could have a dramatic, dramatic impact on the dollar and on the future of the U.S. economy.
1: We know that President Biden distanced himself from Saudi Arabia, but seems to be embracing Iran, which to me is kind of incomprehensible, but he seems to be embracing Iran. And we've talked about it a little bit in the past, but they are still considering removing the Revolutionary Guard from the list of terrorists in the world.
2: Uh, It's really quite extraordinary to hear that. The Revolutionary Guard is a terrorist organization. Recently, there was a letter from 800 former U.S. service members, who had been injured in Iraq, wounded in Iraq by Iranian uh, explosively formed penetrators. So basically, these are uh, very efficient, very effective roadside bombs, and they wrote the administration saying, look, don't take the IRGC, the Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps, off the terrorism list. They're on the list now. Don't take them off the terrorism list because they're terrorists so yes you 're right. The Biden people do want to suck up to Iran. They believe that uh, Iran is a more friendly regime towards them in Washington than the Saudis, and they have alienated the Saudis. Uh, they have really had a dramatic policy we 've talked about it several times on the show, taking the patriot missiles out of Saudi Arabia in, in April of two thousand and twenty one so So basically, the Iranians could strike the Riyadh airport, the civilian airport in the Saudi capital with Drone strikes from their their allies in Yemen and drone strikes from bases inside Iraq. It's really in- extraordinary to see this. So yes, the Biden people are pushing away the Saudis. They're pushing the Saudis into the arms of the Chinese. By the way, President Xi is going to go to Saudi Arabia in the next uh, China Arab summit there uh, with and uh, could be as many as nineteen Arab countries meeting with uh, President Xi, and the, the Biden instead wants to uh, have a new relationship with Iran. It really is uh, basically diplomacy turned upside down.
1: As we continue our tour around the Middle East, let's look at Sudan right now. And they have had their political problems with coups and the like recently. And they seem to be distancing themselves from the UN and at the same time embracing Russia.
2: Uh, well, Sudan is the problem child of, of North Africa, and remember, they had a coup last year, a military government, and they had a civilian prime minister, and then the civilian prime minister resigned, and so then another military government, then the UN, this United Nations Integrated Transition Assistance Mission in the Sudan said that they were going to boycott the government unless the civilian head was brought back in. I mean, it's a mess, and the UN doesn't like the military in the Sudan. The military in the Sudan does not like the U.N. Uh, they've been calling each other names. And the U.S., the United States, has reimposed sanctions on the government in Sudan until th- the, they once again have a civilian government. Look, this is, a, this is a big problem. Sudan is a source of oil, and they're also a source of gold. So they've been doing a lot of business with Russia recently. They've been selling Russia a lot of gold Uh, A lot of oil has been going to China, and the United States, we're kind of just taking ourselves out of the mix through sanctions and by trying to um, sideline the regime there.
1: Well, our final stop on this uh, geopolitical world tour that we've been going on today, Ken, is in Asia, where we talk about tensions that are increasing between the Taliban in Afghanistan and uh, the government in Pakistan, and there've actually been some uh, attacks across the borders.
2: Uh, Well, there have. And this, again, something that we haven't seen in a while. The Pakistani Air Force has raided bases in, well, they claim they were bases in Afghanistan that were run by the Tafrika Taliban Pakistan, the TTP. This is a Taliban offshoot mainly of Pakistanis who are attacking inside Pakistan, the civilian government uh, inside Pakistan. So this is a, a kind of tit for tat. Of course, when the Pakistani Air Force launches an air raid, they generally wind up killing civilians. So the reports that I've seen are that 47 civilians were killed last weekend during these air raids and not an awful lot of the TTP guerrilla fighters. Look, Pakistan and especially the ISI, this is the military intelligence which pretty much runs Pakistan, have always seen Afghanistan, neighboring Afghanistan, as a province of Pakistan. So they believe that they should have an outsized influence. They promote political parties. They've been promoting the Taliban forever inside Afghanistan. And they were, in fact, part and parcel of the Taliban takeover this past August. So this is a, a squabble between the Pakistanis and a radical group, an extremely radical group inside Afghanistan that would like to topple the Pakistani
1: Well, Ken, we've been all over the map today, and there are so many things taking place in the world, and even though some of them are happening in isolation, it seems like they are all interconnected, and it's kind of all taking place at the same time. The width and breadth of your knowledge of all of these situations is amazing. So thank you so much for coming on here and seeking to educate our listeners. We look forward to having you again soon. God bless. Thank you, Rick.
0: Ken, thank you so very much. And Rick, you know, I hope that people, when they hear these stories, they understand how each one of these stories has a link to Bible prophecy. Well, we've got to take a break, and when we come back, our Middle East News update with David Dolan and our focus on the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem, right here on Prophecy Today weekend.
3: I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. After withdrawing from the northern regions of Ukraine around Kiev, Russia's begun a new offensive in the east. Eric Mock with the Slava Gospel Association says the suffering is great in these areas, but despite the tragic headlines, God's kingdom grows as well. Local Christians deliver food and the gospel to those in need, often driving cars riddled with bullet holes. You can support these believers through SGA and pray for their safety. And between the 4th and 7th centuries, Christians transformed the Judean wilderness into a place of worship, prayer, and community. Haytham Diek is teaching a new course about monasticism with Bethlehem Bible College. He says, these Christians left their materialistic lives to live in the same desert where Jesus fasted for 40 days. And they turned this harsh environment into a city with 70 monasteries. More history and links to online classes at missionnews.org. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries, Arliss Kramer.
4: Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program
1: that looks at current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Well, this is the part of the program where we have our Middle East news update. We look at news coming out of the Middle East. This week, we will focus on the city of Jerusalem and specifically the Temple Mount. And to do that, we have our good friend and regular broadcast partner, Dave Dolan, with us. Dave, thank you for joining us today.
5: I'm glad to be with you on this uh, end of Passover, uh, end of Easter time season. Well,
1: and it's interesting that you referenced that because also Ramadan has taken place, and that is something that we've been talking about on this program for weeks now, is how Ramadan, Easter, and Passover are all coming at the same time. So there is certainly a lot of things taking place in Israel right now. Can you give us an update right now what the situation is on the ground in Israel?
5: Very, very tense, Rick. Uh, there were two uh, separate uh, incidents of Some pretty intense rioting on the Temple Mount on Friday, early morning and mid-afternoon, both time after Muslim prayers in the Al-Aqsa Mosque up there. And uh, this came, of course, after the Hamas organization, Ismail Haniya, their leader, called for Friday to be a, quote, general mobilization of the Palestinian people to, quote, defend Al-Aqsa from Zionist plots and et cetera, et cetera, the same things they always say. Uh, So mobilization, of course, is a military term. Uh, You mobilize soldiers, you mobilize reserves. So that's what he was basically doing. Uh, Hundreds of thousands of Jews, uh, I'm sorry, of Muslims during the week went up to uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque to pray. They were allowed in by Israel and the Israeli authorities pointed out it was only a small percentage that were engaged in these riots but the riots were pretty intense on friday afternoon they actually stormed the israel police station on the temple mount it was closed and locked because of course the authorities knew something like that would happen they again tried to stone uh jewish worshipers at the western wall below uh, friday being the last day of uh, the week-long celebration of passover so it was packed the police were able to push them back but they had to call in a drone aircraft that were firing stun grenades from them at the rioters. They made a bunch of arrests. Some people were wounded. Once again, they, they went back into the mosque, forcing the Israelis to come after them. And then that becomes a huge international incident. Meanwhile, Hamas was not just stirring up trouble in Jerusalem, but renewing the rocket attacks from the Gaza Strip. We had some last weekend. We had some on Tuesday. We had some on Thursday night. They weren't long-range that could hit Jerusalem. You may recall that's what started the 11-day war during Ramadan last May. Uh, They didn't try to hit Jerusalem, but of course, in Jerusalem, they were stirring up all this trouble. And I mean, the details, I could go on and on, but it's been a very, very tense time. And again, the concern is that Hamas is trying to push with Iranian backing for a new war, a new full war that would precipitate thousands of rockets coming in and that trouble in other parts of Israel. And the Israelis continue to mobilize for that. There's that word mobilize. This is though the army and the police forces, the border police, uh, they're calling up more reserves and moving into Israeli cities and towns as well as uh, around Palestinian areas, anticipating that things will not get any better and of course we're nearing the last week of ramadan it ends on may 2nd and the last friday of ramadan will be next friday and that is always rick ben the tensest time during the previous ramadan it sort of builds up to a climax and there's a lean splits and we have a lot of trouble so the israelis frankly are hankering down for another at least 10 days of of this.
1: Well, and I'd like to check the facts here. If we're looking at it, many of the reports that you've seen in the mainstream media have said that uh, in response to an Israeli incursion into the Alaska Mosque. But in general, it's typically the other way, is it not? Uh, Basically, there are rioters that are getting together and then actually taking refuge in the Alaska Mosque.
5: Yes, I noticed two of the uh, American evening news broadcasts on reporting this said Israeli forces, quote, stormed into the Mm Al-Aqsa Mosque. Well, I can tell you the last place that an Israeli Jewish soldier or even an Israeli Arab soldier wants to be um, on Ramadan is fighting Palestinians inside a holy site. That's Ridiculous. They don't want to be up there. Hamas is goading this, uh, Islamic Jihad joining them, Hezbollah joining them, a- Iranian leaders. The President uh, Raisi uh, gave a speech this week. He said, even the tiniest move against us. I'm quoting, we will attack the center of the Zionist regime. It will be a target of our armed forces. So Iran is pushing this as well. And then, yes, then, of course, the Israelis have to, what, they're going to let stones and rocks just fall on the heads of, of of women. You know, the closest to where the rioters are is the women's section of the Western Wall. That's directly below and, uh, you know, they're going to let them be attacked <laughs> on Passover and not have any response. And the police have been trying all week to be very as sedate as they can be and to try to calm things. And, and they have said that some of the Muslim leaders up there of the Waqf have been trying also themselves to calm the situation and to tell people, you know, take your protest outside, as it were. Uh, but who is disrupting the Muslim prayers up there? It's the Muslim rioters. The Israelis only react, respond to that. And that's just uh, a fact, whatever the media says.
1: I noticed that Mahmoud Abbas uh, said that he would suspend Palestinian recognition of Israel as well. So not only will there be a a chance to start a riot and uh, no security coordination, but they don't even recognize Israel's right to exist because of this.
5: Well, that's it. And we even had Russia early in the week issue a strong condemnation of Israel and Uh, you know, its occupation forces on the Temple Mountain, the same sort of statements that came after Vladimir Putin sent a strong letter to Israeli Prime Minister Bennett demanding that a Russian church in the old city be handed back to the Russian government. Well, Netanyahu two years ago had promised to do that, and then it was, was taken to court by the current occupants of that church, which is the local Orthodox Palestinian church and the Greek church. They didn't want it to revert back to Russia, so he's demanding that or there be consequences. So it's not good for Israel all around, but again, we just, you know, we know that these struggles are going to be there, and we know that, uh, you know, fundamentalist Muslims are never going to recognize Israel's existence. Again, it's a question of whose God is God, and they believe it's them, and the Quran's the final truth, so they're not going to give that up. And of course, there's not not, uh, quite a few... Uh, Jews that feel the same about Judaism and Israel's rights to be on the Temple Mount, etc. It's after all, 3,000 years ago that they first established uh, their holy site there, so uh, long before Islam ever existed.
1: Well, David, I do appreciate the fact that you are mentioning that this is a a battle over whose God is God. So we have politics and religion mixing as well. Well, I know there are some people, and you mentioned it earlier, that want to rebuild a temple on the Temple Mount area. I know in years past, the status quo has been put forth as uh, as as a goal that should be maintained because we don't want to we don't want to rock the boat but i think that even if they are trying not to rock the boat israel can't win so does this change the political situation in israel are there those that think well you know what maybe if we're not going to have peace and security anyways let's go ahead and build the temple
5: Well, it was considered by many to be a mistake in 1967 when Moshe Dayan and other Israeli leaders at the time said, "Uh, look, uh, Muslims, don't worry. We've got the site, but we don't intend to do anything with it. We won't change the quote status quo, that it's mainly a Muslim site. And uh, many thought that was a mistake. But of course, uh, it's been that way now for all all the years since. But there is a growing movement inside of Israel that wants to rebuild the Jewish temple. I have to point out, this is not, the polls show, a majority of Israelis. It's about 25, 30 percent, but that's a growing percent, and it's a vocal uh, group. And, um, you know, it, uh, it it just does seem absurd that at least the Jews who want to pray at their holiest site should be allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. And they do it, as you know, discreetly. They go to the back side; It's hidden from the mosque. They're not in anybody's way. They're not being provocative at all, except that they exist and are there. But just to see them makes the uh, Muslims, many of them, so angry on their uh, Allah's compound because, again, they've triumphed and not the Jews. The Jews should be gone. Uh, They were finished as uh, revelatory people long ago, they believed. So, uh, you know, that's just the bottom line situation. But uh, the Israelis will continue, many, to want to rebuild the temple, and we'll see more movements towards that, I'm sure.
1: Well, the Bible says in Zechariah that uh, Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling in the end times, and that is certainly the case right now as things are taking place. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you for keeping us aware of what is taking place there in Israel.
5: We're a better situation, but God's in control. God bless.
1: We're going to take a break right now on Prophecy Today Radio, but when we come back, we have several more guests as we explore this topic of the Temple Mount. Why is it so important to us as Christians? Why is it so important to the Jewish people? And why is it important to the Islamic world as well? Stay tuned as we have guests Sharam Hadian and Professor Tom Myers with us in the next half hour, right here on Prophecy Today Radio.
4: for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D Young's Revelation: A Chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy D Young Jr. and along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And uh, on the program today, we are focusing on the Temple Mount, uh, what's been going on the last week, uh, weeks really, uh, and it's been going on for a long time. So that's why we're focusing on the Temple Mount with the prayers uh, of Ramadan and with the Passover and of course, Easter just passing. There's so much that's going on in the city of peace, that's Jerusalem and um Today on the program, uh, we go to the Bible memory man, our friend Tom Meyer. He is a professor. He's got history and geographical under his belt, and plus he knows the Word of God. Tom, welcome to the program today. Thank you. It's
6: great to be here.
0: Uh, great to have you with us. So, Tom, we are focusing on the city of Jerusalem, specifically the Temple Mount, or in Arabic, Haram al-Sharif. Help us to understand this conflict that's going on.
2: Well,
6: what it all boils down to is, is God's Word true or not? Mm. And we know that it is, and the Jews believe that the Old Testament is true, and they'll get to the New Testament as being true one day. But (laughs) (laughs) among the Muslims, I mean, it's the standard operational procedure that not one stone of the Western Wall has any connection to Hebrew history, Mm. that there isn't the smallest indication of a Jewish temple on this place in the past, that in the whole city of Jerusalem, there is not even a single stone that indicates Jewish history. The Temple Mount was absolutely positively never there. And there is not one iota, one bit of proof to establish that. That is what every 99% of every Muslim believes. Isn't that amazing?
0: That's amazing. And,
6: and, and also to add on top of that, may we unfortunately say left wing academia here at home in the States, that there never was a Jewish temple and so since there was never a Jewish temple, therefore the Jews have no historical or religious claims to Jerusalem.
0: That's interesting. And as you look at it, I mean, we know we could trace the history of the Jewish people in that area in Jerusalem going all the way back through, not only as we go back through when David purchased the threshing floor from Arnon the Jebusite that Abraham offered Isaac there and Melchizedek was the king of Salem.
6: Exactly. And, as everyone listening knows that, you know, King David first established the city of Jerusalem and his son built the first temple and the first commonwealth of Israel that lasted a little over 400 years from 1000 BC to 586 BC until the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and the exiled Jews went to Babylon. And then we all know how they came back under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah and Haggai and etc. and rebuilt the temple. Well, when you think of the temple, you want to think of it as like a, an an upside-down gigantic shoebox, okay? Mm -hmm. And and underneath that shoebox are pits and caverns and cavities and caves and all kinds of ups and downs. So what they did is the second temple, kind of remodeling what was left of the first temple, think of the base, first of all, as that shoebox. And then on top of that shoebox, then you would have the temple itself. Well, if you go to Israel today, which you'll take guests to later this year, you'll see in that southeast corner of the temple mount, an area that's kind of bulging out a little bit. And that is what we want to focus on now and how that area that was excavated illegally in the late 90s and early 2000s proves, despite, we already know that God's word is true, but archaeology from the Temple Mount Sifting Project proves that there really was a temple there.
0: Yes, that's that's an amazing fact that when they did that and they put in a mosque there, uh, the largest one, specifically in that area, they dug out all those artifacts and I've sifted through, I know you have sifted through those artifacts up on the Mount of Olives under Gabi Barkai. So tell us about, you know, um, what is the that struggle that's going on now? Why, why is there such a struggle for the Temple Mount?
6: Well, you know, the bottom line of it First of all, it's a spiritual war, obviously, Mm. but also, whose land is this? Everything in the world of the Bible revolves around land and family, Mm. land and family. And that's the bottom line, is whose land is it? Well, if you have archaeological evidence, which we do, that demonstrates that the Temple Mount was once there, then that shows that it was the Jews first, because, as you know, uh, after Mohammed doesn't come onto the scene until the end of the Byzantine period, around 632 A.D., so through those Temple Mount Sifting Projects, we found we found Jewish coins, we found Jewish jewelry, we found, uh, we found mosaics from Herod's Temple, we found pottery from the First and Second Temple periods, we found arrowheads from 586 B.C. from the time of the Babylonians, we yep. found arrowheads from the Romans from A.D. 70. So you have this tsunami of evidence
7: yeah,
0: that shows it's...
6: that there really was a temple there. And therefore, since the Jews were there first, it's the jews land not yours
0: that's right you know and i like what you said uh, as you described it it is honeycombed uh and uh, you could follow down through the western wall tunnels many people that have been there with us have been there and if they've seen the excavations lately and we those that are going back will see they have dug down even further in those ups and downs that you were talking about and that there is evidence that the Jews were there. And we know that, and we know what God's word says. Tom, when you look at this, and can you help us understand the future, the prophetic, really, or the future significance of what's going to take place over the Temple Mount?
6: Well, sure. Contrary to the ever-increasing popular belief that the Temple Mount was never there, there's overwhelming indication that a Jewish temple was there, and God's word which is accurate and reliable, in every instance archaeology has put it to the test, God's Word proclaims that there will be a third Jewish temple there. Mm. So we know that there was one in the past because God's Word says so, and the proof is in the pudding and the archaeological data, and therefore we have every reason to trust God's Word, that a third temple will be built someday soon.
0: Yes, that third temple will be built and standing during the tribulation period, and then, of course, there will be a temple that is Ezekiel's temple. And that temple has a a different structure of what is there today because who builds that temple, Tom?
6: Well, as our friends at home know it's mentioned in chapters forty to forty eight, and since we're literalists, we take the Bible literally in the normal grammatical historical sense, there will be the that will be the fourth temple. And as the son of David Solomon built the first temple, so Jesus, the son of David, the Jewish Messiah, the son of God himself, will oversee that construction of the fourth temple.
0: Yes, yes. That happens when Jesus Christ comes back, his second coming, when he touches down on the Mount of Olives. And uh, what a glorious time that will be. And as we study Bible prophecy, as we study God's word, I like what you said, Tom. One of these days, as the Jews believe the Old Testament, they'll come to an understanding that the New Testament is also very relevant and uh, and their lives and the lives of everyone in the world. Tom, thank you so much uh, for your uh, adding to our understanding of this conflict that's taking place at Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem and uh, how where the first kingdom was brought into existence will be where Jesus Christ will rule and reign in that next kingdom, that millennial kingdom, that 1,000-year period of time. Thanks, Tom. We look forward to joining with you again in the future. Thank you. Well, Tom Meyer, the Bible memory man, I mean, he's got, not only does he have the Bible, a large portion of it, he's got the whole book of Revelation memorized and and does ministry, but he's got a knowledge, and that's why I like to have Tom on the program. He gives us the historical, geographical background of what we're talking about, and today, on today's program, we are talking about the Temple Mount. We're focusing on it because it is because of Easter Passover and Ramadan the three religions that are based out of the holy lands if you will and so he gives us that background and it really does help us so we've covered really the Jewish aspect we've covered uh, and we will look at the Christian aspect in a minute but one that we haven't really touched on I know but that we have in the past is the Islamic faith the Muslims And our go-to man for that is Sharam Hadian. Sharam, welcome
8: to the program again. Jimmy, thanks for having me back on the program.
0: Well, Sharam, I'm having you on the program because we're in, really, I guess this is the, uh, what would you call this? This is the third holy day for the Muslims in the month of Ramadan. Earlier on Friday, there were somewhere between um, 90,000 to 150,000 worshipers on har sharif or as we like to refer to it, the Temple Mount, uh, I know that uh, it's, a, it's a place of contention for sure. But before we get started, just explain to us, because a lot of people are not familiar with what is Ramadan.
8: Well, the significance of Ramadan within Islamic scripture is that this is, according to Muhammad, who is the uh, self-proclaimed prophet of Islam, mm-hmm. uh, Ramadan is the time where the Quran was given. So this is the the month that the revelation was given to, to, to him of their holy book, of the book that they consider to be holy. And of course, as a former Muslim, I don't agree with that, because right. uh, we know that it is absolutely different than, than the Bible, and it does not have a common commonality. In fact, it denies uh, much of Christianity, including the very deity of Jesus Christ. But do, for Muslims, this is a time where they were told that they must be a, a time of prayer and fasting. So beyond the the prayer that they do five times a day, the swam, that is one of the five pillars of Islam, they they have extra prayers during the month of Ramadan because they believe that this earns them extra points. We have to understand that Islam is works-based, and it is about, um, you know, what they can do to please their, their God, Allah. But the significance, Jimmy, ultimately, is that the month of Ramadan, number one, was... The, the revelation, although there is contradiction in the Quran, mm. the revelation that they believe that this word was given to him from heaven in Arabic, uh, revealing the final uh, revelation, the final God. You have to understand that Islam teaches that Christianity and Judaism, or in the order of Judaism and Christianity that came before it, were, were corrupted, mm. that the, the prophets that had come before, including Jesus, who they believe is the sixth or seventh, of seven major prophets, uh, that his teaching had been corrupted by the Christians. And therefore, uh, Allah, their their God, uh, not the God of the Bible, has to send a final messenger in Muhammad. So this is their version. This is their story. One of the things about Ramadan that is not told. The West, we are told that Ramadan is a time of peace, that Ramadan is a time... Uh, that Muslims are are introspective, and that may be the case for you know an average Muslim, but mm-hmm. for the Islamic world and the Islamic movement, the other significance of Ramadan is that some of the major battles that were fought advancing Islam out of the Arabic Peninsula were fought during the month of Ramadan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Muhammad fought several major battles during the month. Of course, this year, it is April 1st to May 1st. That's the 30 days that we find ourselves in, and every night uh they they fast from sun up to sundown, and they break that fast what's called eid al-fitter they they break the fast every night uh at sundown they they eat a lot and then they get up and they eat some more until sun <laughs> up uh and and so typically uh, kind of a running joke that we used to have in Iran was that those muslims who were observing ramadan I usually gain weight. You think if you were fasting, you'd lose weight, yeah. but you actually gain weight because they eat so poorly, you know, because they, they're eating late before they go to bed. And that's never a good thing, right? We never want to eat late before we have to go to bed. So that's the general significance of Ramadan. Uh, one more thing I'd like to add, if I could, and that is I'm very concerned with the celebration of Ramadan by Christians. Mm. Uh, I think you and I, and I remember I, I used to talk to your dad about this several times, is that we now have this movement within Christianity to say, if we want to reach out to Muslims during their holy month, let's talk about how we bless Ramadan, we Mm. celebrate Ramadan. Well, here's the problem. If Ramadan, the significance of Ramadan is the revelation of the Quran, and the Quran comes and it denies the Trinity, it denies the deity of Jesus, it denies that he's the son of God, because Allah according to the Quran, does not have a son, nor does he is he begotten, meaning he can't be a father nor a son. Um, they, of course, deny the Holy Spirit, and they deny the crucifixion and the resurrection. Surah 4157 denies the crucifixion, says it never happened. They, of course, deny the resurrection. So my question to Christians is, how can you bless a time, a, 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 a um, holiday, or a holy time for Muslims when their text when their uh scriptures refute and deny the essence the foundation of christianity Mm -hmm. how can we bless that so while we should understand it and understand why it is holy to them why it's revered to them uh, we should not be celebrating it welcoming it uh you know having iftar dinners in our churches for them as we see oftentimes happening in many of the uh, lukewarm sort of mm-hmm. um, middle of the road churches, so that's the just the caveat that I want to put in there that uh, we must not get caught up in this in this deception.
0: I think that's an excellent point, Sharam, and I'm so glad you brought that up because we do see a lot of churches today that are trying to become relevant, and by doing that. They think it's welcoming all the religions and faiths, but into their congregations, into their uh, church structures, to their to their body of Christ. But really, I mean, it's a false religion by a false prophet and a false book. And I, I like the way that you brought out the inconsistencies. And folks, let me just remind you again: at least surrounding Israel, you have two hundred twenty million. Arabs, Muslims that surround Israel that uh, want nothing more to wipe Israel off the face of the map, and they are lost and going to hell. And I think Sharam's ministry, and I, I failed to bring this up, Sharam, you grew up in Iran.
8: Give us your website again. Sure, our website is uh, tilproject.com. TIL, which stands for Truth in Love, the acronym there, the word project.com. And as you know, Jimmy, we have focused on, uh, our ministry is twofold when it comes to Islam. Mm. One is we want to expose Islam, make sure people understand what it really is, and two, we want to make sure that we're uh, equipping Christians to properly biblically evangelize the Muslims because as you said from the very beginning, these uh the, the 1. 1.6 1. 1.7 billion Muslims globally, the 200 million as you said that are surrounding Israel, these individuals have no hope. They have no mm. hope for salvation. They are going to hell, and, and I was going to hell before Jesus Christ got a hold of my life almost 23 years ago by the grace of God for me to come out of Islam. So, you know, I was born into a Muslim family. I studied Islam, and now uh, as a Christian, as a pastor, we want to make sure we have a biblical understanding. So thank you for being willing to cover this, because there is so much confusion about Ramadan, about why Muslims uh, treat it with such reverence. But also there's so much confusion. By the way, there's a website that I've, I've oftentimes shared that is very interesting website. I don't know if, if it's okay if I can yes, the, please the, the, the handle, but it's called TheReligionOfPeace.com. Now, this is not promoting Islam. This is a, a website that actually tracks particularly attacks uh, uh, from Islam against Christians and Jews. And just on their website, they track the activity of jihad, particularly during the month of Ramadan, mm. where they've tracked now between April 9th and April 15th, just in one week, 41 attacks, 197 killed, 80 injured, one suicide blast in 13 countries. Wow. Uh, so they track this uh, because we typically do see, unfortunately, an uptick of violence during the month of Ramadan. You think it would be the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. You think it would be a time of, again, of of, of of love and peace for those who— Muslims would disagree with, i.e. Jews and Christians. No, no, no. It's actually a time of increase. And as I said, some of the major battles that Muhammad fought, uh, uh, including the battle when they went into Medina, from from Mecca to Mm -hmm. Medina, and established Islam in 622 A.D. in Medina, that's when Islam really began. That's when the Islamic calendar starts. Mm -hmm. The Islamic calendar doesn't start when Muhammad was born. Or when Muhammad received the revelation, according to him, in 601, um, it, it really begins when they they, they migrated the Hijra to Medina in 622, and that's uh, what people have to understand about the totality of Ramadan.
0: So let's let's talk about this because you bring up a valid point, and one of the reasons we're focusing on this is because in the city of Jerusalem. On the Temple Mount, where the first and second temple stood, well, a future third temple will stand, and then Ezekiel's temple will stand, and the future where Jesus Christ will rule and reign from. In the Temple Mount today, Harma sharif in Arabic, after their prayers on Friday, they were throwing stones, uh, they were chanting, there was a lot that was going on. One of the reasons why we we're f- focusing on it. But why the struggle for
8: Jerusalem? Well, that's a great question. And and it's interesting, Jimmy, because I think if you ask that question of most Muslims, they wouldn't be able to answer the question because they're taught that, number one, Jerusalem is in the Quran. It is not in the Quran. Jerusalem is never mentioned once in the Quran. Mm. The word al-Quds, that is the word Q-U-D-S that they use for Jerusalem, is mentioned in the Hadith, which is the traditions of Muhammad, but it's not mentioned. Contrast this with the Bible, that mentions Jerusalem over 820 times. So, number one, there is no scriptural importance to Jerusalem within the Qur'an, none whatsoever. The only reference that you, you actually find is in Surah chapter 5, where in the Qur'an it says, uh, Muhammad, when Moses said to his people, Oh my people, remember the favor of Allah, of course they, they claim that Moses was a prophet of Allah, which we mm-hmm. know he wasn't because Allah is not God, upon you, when he appointed among you prophets and made you possessors, and gave you that which he had not given anyone among the world. They're, they're talking about the Holy Land. It doesn't mention Jerusalem, mm. but it's talking about the land, the, the, the territory that Abraham would have gone and conquered the Canaanites and the Moabites, and then subsequently would have been passed down to Moses and the Mosaic Law. So the Quran actually recognizes that the Holy Land belongs to who? The Jews. Mm. So most Muslims don't know this because they're taught, Now, you go, well, Sharam. where does it come from? Well, Muhammad then claims that he had a vision and that he took a miraculous... uh, This is in 621 AD, that he had a vision and was miraculously taken to the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Well, there's a problem. By the way, the word Al-Aqsa, that is part of the Temple Mount, right? So you have the Dome of the Rock. In Arabic, it is Rubat al-shakra, right? Uh, It's the Dome of the Rock. That's the conquering aspect. Well, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is, depending on how you're looking at Jerusalem, like if you're up uh, on the Mount of Olives and you're looking at the Dome of the Rock, the Al-Aqsa would be towards the left, right? So it would be on the left side of the Temple Mount, if you're looking at the East Gate. So I'm just trying to give a reference point. Well, now, that reference point, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, was, was that Jerusalem was conquered. It was never given in Scripture. The scripture of Islam says it belongs to the Jews. It doesn't belong (laughs) to the Palestinians because there was no Palestinians in the land. So so there's already some Muslims that believe that uh, the the Muslims have no claim even to the Temple Mount. Mm. And and I would support that view that scripturally Islam has no claim to the Temple Mount. Scripturally Islam has no claim to Jerusalem. The reason that they are fighting for it is because once Islam conquers an area... According to this Islamic text, it becomes Dar al-Islam, the house of Islam, not Dar al-Harb, the house of war or the house of the unbelievers. It becomes Dar al-Islam. Once they have Dar al-Islam, they believe it belongs to them and they will not give it up. So why would Muslims be fighting for Jerusalem? Why would they claim that the Palestinians, quote unquote, that are really nothing but Arabs, Palestinians are simply, uh, you know, Uh, Mm -hmm. Jordanian Arabs and Syrian Arabs, predominantly Jordanian Arabs, they have no right to the land, no scriptural right, no... uh, uh, They can say all day long, Jerusalem is a sacred city to us Muslims. But sacred is, in this context, not because their God told them it was sacred or because their text told them it was sacred, it's because they conquered it. And because of that, they will not give it up without a fight, which then takes us, and I don't want to jump ahead of you, But then it takes us into prophecy, looking at kind of a Psalm 83, Ezekiel 38, 39 scenario. Well, continue. Go ahead. Take us to the prophetic aspect of why this is so very important. Well, because now, because of the fact that Muslims have conquered, and by the way, they not not only conquered, they massacred. let's be very clear about that. They conquered and they massacred. And this is the the history of Islamic conquest out of the Arabic Peninsula. Uh, Even Muslims can't hide their 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 history of jihad and the hundreds of millions of people that have been killed over the fourteen hundred year history of Islam, mm-hmm. but now let's get the significance. Uh, first of all, Psalm eighty three, as you and I talked about, I believe Psalm eighty three is at the beginning of the tribulation. I also believe, just like you guys do, that it's connected to the Ezekiel thirty eight and thirty nine Gog and Magog battle. That it's at the beginning of the tribulation, and that battle which lists psalm 83 every nation that is mentioned in psalm 83 is today an islamic nation mm-hmm. so that, that can't be an accident no and then number two ezekiel 38 we have the mention of persia the mention of put and cush which is you know libya mm-hmm. sudan area we have the mention of turkey three to four times we have the mention um of of, of magog which which I think we'd agree more than likely is Russia, every other nation listed in Ezekiel 38 is an Islamic country as well. Right. So I think that the hatred of the Jewish people that is within the spirit that is in Islam, which is ultimately an anti-Christ spirit according to 1 John 2, 1 John 4, 2 John 7-11, through 11, that speaks of the denial of Jesus, denial of the Father and the Son. Well, I already said at the beginning of the interview, Islam denies Jesus as the Son of God. Islam denies God as Father, God as Holy Spirit, God as Son, denies the Trinity, denies the crucifixion, denies the resurrection. But then people claim, oh, look how much we have in common. No, yeah. there is nothing in common. Nothing It in is common. absolutely a false God, absolutely a false scripture. Uh, the Quran and the Bible cannot have commonality because they completely differ uh, on the key things. And then one other element that Islam got wrong, major, major element that very few talk about, and that is that Muhammad claims that he was given a vision and, he, and, and, and that the vision was, was given to him in the Hadith that Abraham took his son Ishmael mm. to, well, the, the Bible says Mount Moriah, right? The Bible right? says okay. that Abraham took Isaac to Mount Moriah in the Hadith, according to Muhammad. And this isn't Sahih Bukhari, which means oh. it's a, they claim it's a- authenticated Hadith that Muhammad uh, claims that the vision that was given to him was that Abraham took his son Ishmael, so you have the wrong son, Mm. and not to Mount Moriah in Jerusalem, but to Mecca, and that that's where he was going to sacrifice Ishmael on the altar. No, Isaac was the legitimate promise keeper son of Abraham, not Ishmael. So these are all things that, that are very confusing to Muslims and to Christians today. They need clarification, and we have to understand that I believe the armies that are going to come, the the massive sea, you mentioned the locusts that are going to come, the Joel 2 potential prophecy, that army is is going to be predominantly an Islamic army along with potentially Russia, and they're going to be coming in to try to conquer Jerusalem because of their view that the Jews have no right to the land, and yet it's the opposite. Uh, Even their own text says the Holy Land belongs to the people of Israel, the Jews. Mm.
0: Sharam Hadian, Truth and Love Project, TILproject.com?
8: Yes, sir. TILproject.com for Truth and Love, for Truth and Love Ministry. Again, I'm so grateful that you're covering this so that we can speak to what's going on now and make sure we educate people uh, so that they're not... uh, falling for some of the things that they're being told.
0: Sharam, thank you so much brother. Thanks for joining us today and giving us this understanding of Ramadan, why the Muslims want Jerusalem, the fallacies, the false prophets, the the false book, the false narrative. Thank you so much and uh, we look forward to joining you again sometime on the radio with us. Thank you Jimmy, it's always a blessing. God bless you guys. <laughs> Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And what a packed hour that we just had. As a matter of fact, Rick, we have been focusing on the Temple Mount today.
1: We have, and our ministry over the last 20 years has been focusing on the Temple Mount. I know that the late Dr. Jimmy DeYoung did a video called Ready to Rebuild. That was one of the first videos, or actually the first video we ever produced. It was a very popular video, and we redid that video. Video about six or seven years ago now, and we went back and talked to some of the people in the first video as we look at the arrangements for the temple. What we'd like to do, Jimmy, is offer that video to those that are listening today if you call our office at 1 8 Prophecy 8, that's a 1 800 number, or you can go to our website at prophecytoday.com this weekend and for the next few days after that, we're going to make that video available at half-off. We want to get you that information. We also have a book called Sound the Trumpets. This was Dad's first book that he wrote, and uh, it looks at four major trends that are taking place that are setting the stage for the rapture to take place, and one of those trends was arrangements for the temple. What's taking place? And So if you prefer the DVD, you can get the Ready to Rebuild Revisited DVD, Or if you prefer a book, you can get the sound, the trumpets book. Both of those will be half off. You can call our offices at 1-8-PROPHECY-8, or you can go to the website at prophecytoday.com.
0: Thank you for that offer, and I hope you do take advantage of that. Well, we're going to continue our legacy series this week, where we're going to be focusing on Alpha and Omega. And this week, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to find out why the Islamic world will be heading towards the city of Jerusalem. With our Legacy Series this week, Dr. Jimmy D. Young. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle
9: than any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. The serpent. You know who that was? A Satan. How do I know that? I read the book of Revelation, chapter 12 and verse 9, where it says, that old serpent, the devil and Satan. Was Satan actually a serpent? Or did he embody a serpent. Take possession of I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But Adam and Eve recognized him as a serpent. Was he walking on all four? I don't know. Did he have any legs? I don't know. But I do know after he caused Adam and Eve to sin, God said you're going to wallow around on your belly the rest of your life. That's all I know, what the text says. And then he comes up to Eve. Hey, did God... Really say you can't eat of the trees in the garden? I'm not sure. So he started to use deception. His subtle approach of telling the half truth. Hey, wait a minute, Eve. Do you really believe God is going to kill you when you eat? You think you're really going to die? Let me tell you what I think God's doing. He's giving you a rough time because he doesn't like you being as smart as he is. Why don't you just go over there and eat of that tree of knowledge of good and evil? You'll be as smart as he is then. Then what did Eve say? Oh, she's starting to slip quickly. She said, well, God said, we can't eat of that tree of knowledge of good and evil, and we can't touch the tree. Uh, that's not what God said. He said, you can't eat of it. He didn't say anything about touching it. So she's starting to slip. And ultimately, she listens to these lies, this deception. What is he? What is Satan. John chapter 8, verse 22 says, He is the father of all liars. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says, He is an angel of light, so he comes and he deceives. And we buy into it. And Eve bowed into it. So she eats the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Adam, this is delicious. Come have a bite. He bites into it. All of a sudden. Oh, Eve, you don't have any clothes on.
6: Well, Adam, you don't either.
9: You're standing there naked. And so he runs over and gets a fig leaf or some kind of leaf. I don't know. Maybe it's an oak leaf or something and covers himself. She does. They hide. It's about noontime and Jesus is out for his daily walk, walking through the garden. Hey, Adam, Eve, where are you? Let's talk. We're over here, Jesus. What are you doing over there? We're hiding. Why are you hiding? We're naked. How do you know that? Oh, I know what's going on. And Jesus pronounces punishment. You see, Satan, he was the one who started the insurrection. What happened here, Adam and Eve? And Adam says, not my fault, Jesus. It's this woman that you gave me. (laughs) And so Jesus looks at her, what happened, Eve? Not my fault, Jesus. This old snake over here told me to do it. Isn't that just like sin? Passing along to somebody else. Never taking the credit for what you do wrong. So Jesus said, I tell you what. Eve, from now on, in childbirth, pain throughout all your generations. I can't describe it. I don't know what it is. Pain. And Adam, you're going to have to go to work. I provided everything. Now by the sweat of your brow, you're going to make a livelihood. And Satan... You're going to crawl around like a snake for the rest of your life. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Chapter 3, verse 15. I'm going to raise up a Messiah, a Savior. You might bruise his heel, but he's going to bust your head open. And indeed, that was the pronouncement of Jesus in the Garden of Eden. But that all sets the stage for an end time event. We have the institution or the inauguration of the Garden of Eden. Insurrection in the garden. There's going to be invasion of the Garden of Eden in the last days. Go to Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah 51. Look there quickly with me. Isaiah chapter 51, verse 3. Isaiah 51, 3. For the Lord shall comfort Zion, synonymous with Jerusalem. Shall comfort Zion, he will comfort all of the waste places, and he will make her wilderness. Now the word like. Like. The word like is not here either in the original Hebrew. The word is Edon. That's the word for Eden. And it says, so it should read, make her wilderness Eden and her desert. The word like again is not there in the Hebrew. The garden of the Lord. The word garden. Gan is there. Edon and Gan. No word for like. So that's just an interpolation. The translator put it in because they couldn't believe going to have the garden of Eden again go to the 36th chapter of the book of Ezekiel Ezekiel chapter 36 you remember Ezekiel 36 is talking about the land it's talking about the land in 35 different locations in here and it says that God will bring them back into the land over here in verse 11 it says the land is going to be greater than it was for your forefathers look at chapter 36 verse 35 and they shall say this land that was desolate is become like is not in the text That again is interpolation. And so the text should read this land that was desolate, the Garden of Eden. Hey, listen, there shouldn't be any question. Don't you remember what Lot said when Abraham brought him down to the Jordan River, Jericho Valley? He said, hey, Lot, which piece of real estate do you want? I'll take the other. Which do you want? He said, I want this right here. It looks like the Garden of Eden. Of course, that's what it was. It's what it had been. It was still beautiful, even at that time. And so it says, this is the Garden of Eden. Go to Joel, chapter 2. The book of Joel is talking about the day of the Lord. It introduces that phrase, used 72 times in the Bible. The day of the Lord is any time in history when God intercedes in the affairs of man personally on the earth. In chapter 1 of the book of Joel, it's talking about a locust invasion of the land. That's historic. Starting in chapter 2, it's prophetic, using that as a backdrop. Look here in verse 2. Remember, a day starts with what? It starts with the night and then the day. Okay, look what it says here in verse 2. A day of darkness at night, of gloominess, a dark, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains. Now notice, a great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations." A fire devireth before them. This is a mighty militia that's going to be formed. Notice what it says here. The fire devireth before them and behind them a flame burneth. That's how a forest fire goes through a forest. The big flames and then the little flickering flames afterwards. Notice where it's going. And to the land, look, is as the, is in italics. That means it's interpolation, not interpretation. So it should read, and the flame burneth the Garden of Eden before them. What's it talking about? A mighty militia that will be formed to go to the Garden of Eden. Wow. In the last days. Oh, the Garden of Eden. Temple Mount, city of Jerusalem. Hey, the Jews are not the only ones that believe that. I want to tell you, I was interviewing Sheikh Sabri, the Mufti of the city of Jerusalem, the most powerful Islamic cleric in the area. He was sitting in his office just off of the Temple Mount. I was asking him, has there ever been a Jew on the Temple Mount, sheik? He said, no, never a Jew on the Temple Mount. Boy, that ticked me off. I wanted to get in his face. I wanted to talk about Isaac taking, I mean Abraham taking Isaac to Mount Moriah. I wanted to talk about David buying that threshing floor from Ornan the Jebusite. I wanted to talk about King Solomon building that temple. I wanted to talk about Zerubbabel building the second temple. I wanted to talk about Jesus Christ, who as a Jew preached on the Temple Mount and healed on the Temple Mount. I wanted to get in his face, and then I looked at his bodyguards. Six, eight, two, ninety apiece. I determined that wasn't the proper time to get in the Mufti's face. But I said, sir, you're telling me there's never been a Jew on the Temple Mount? He said, absolutely not. And he said, that Temple Mount out there, he calls it al That al dates back to Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden. Islam believes the Temple Mount's the Garden of Eden. You start reading Islamic literature. The Mahdi. The Muslim Messiah will appear. He will go to Jerusalem and set up the caliphate. The caliphate, the world dominion, the world kingdom. And a mighty militia from Daniel chapter 11, verses 40 to 45. King of the north, Syria, who's perched at Israel's northern border. King of the south, Egypt, who's ready to come in with the largest Arab nation in the world. Antichrist defeats them. Study Daniel 11, 40 to 45. Ezekiel 38 intercedes. Magog. Magog. Gog in the land of Magog. Magog's the land. You know where Magog comes from? Why, Magog was the firstborn son of Jepheth, grandson of Noah. Genesis chapter 10, verse 2. And you know what? He went to some place, Genesis 10, 5, raised a family, developed a language, and started a nation. That's where nations come from, 10th chapter of the book of Genesis, after the flood. Oh, by the way, he had some brothers, you know what their names were? Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, Tagarma. Oh, Magog went north of the Caspian Sea. That's modern day Russia. Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Nagarma stayed below the Caspian and Black Sea. That's modern day Turkey. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38. They're gonna come. Taya Bird of Turkey, an Islamic fundamentalist. They're gonna attack. Oh, there's gonna be some more. Chapter 38, verse 5. You know who Persia is? Until 36, they were 1936 they were. Persia, but today they're Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Iran. Kush, Ethiopia, Somalia, and Sudan. Put Libya over in the eighty-third Psalm. You know what it says? The Ishmaelites—that's modern-day Saudi Arabia. Tyre—that's modern-day Lebanon. These nations are going to form an alliance, and they're going to bring the the coalition, a mighty army that's never been formed in the history of the world, into Jerusalem. This mighty militia, made up of Moslems from around the world, will come to Jerusalem, the Garden of Eden, to set up a worldwide kingdom, a caliphate, in the place where the devil used his subtle strategy against Adam and Eve some 6,000 years ago. With this coalition of nations aligning themselves against the Jewish state of Israel, Once again, the devil is trying to take control of the world from the Garden of Eden, which is the center of the world. However, this time, the Lord will intercede and totally wipe out this attacking enemy of the Jewish people. In essence, the Muslim world will be rendered inoperative as foretold in the prophetic book of Ezekiel, where the ancient Jewish prophet pre-wrote history to tell of the demise of the enemies of Israel. You can read this account in Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 18, through chapter 39, verse
0: 6. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. What a great series. Well, we're going to have to take a break right here on Prophecy Today weekend.
3: I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. After withdrawing from the northern regions of Ukraine around Kyiv, Russia's begun a new offensive in the east. Eric Mock with the Slava Gospel Association says the suffering is great in these areas, but despite the tragic headlines, God's kingdom grows as well. Local Christians deliver food and the gospel to those in need, often driving cars riddled with bullet holes. You can support these believers through SGA and pray for their safety. And between the 4th and 7th centuries, Christians transformed the Judean wilderness into a place of worship, prayer, and community. Haytham Diek is teaching a new course about monasticism with Bethlehem Bible College. He says, these Christians left their materialistic lives to live in the same desert where Jesus fasted for 40 days. And they turned this harsh environment into a city with 70 monasteries. More history and links to online classes at missionnews.org. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries, I'm Liz Kramer.
4: Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set. Every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8 Prophecy 8. That's 877 674 3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., and along with my brother Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word, and what a special opportunity that we have to help educate the body of Christ. And this week, we've been focusing on that little piece of real estate in the city of Jerusalem that is so controversial, the Temple Mount. But Rick, uh, as we were looking at events today, uh, I really appreciate looking at it and looking at those political and events the news and what's taking place and how it really bible prophecy is almost kind of setting the stage for all of this to take place
1: absolutely it sure is and that's basically what we do here is we look at things one thing i was noticing today and like you said we focused on the temple mountain occasionally in a, in a news gathering mode i will go to google and, and put in the, the, the phrase Temple Mount and see if there's any new stories. Mm. And often, sometimes there's only stories from a week ago. Sometimes it's even two or three weeks. I went in this week and put in the phrase Temple Mount, and I got 50 stories from yesterday <laughs> and today. And it just reminds me of Zechariah 12, 2, where it says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. And it certainly is a focus
0: of the entire world right at this particular time. You know, that's an amazing statistic, Rick, and I'm so glad you did that. I look at uh, Jerusalem Post, the Times of Israel, and and you see all this information about the clash that took place on the Temple Mount, this little piece of real estate that is very controversial. I remember so many times that you and I have been up there taking people and showing them around that little piece of real estate that's only about the size of five football fields. That is the plateau of where Herod built the and extended the temple. Uh, that's where the temple, the the top of Mount Moriah, where Solomon built the first temple, Herod added on to Zerubbabel's temple, and where there will be two more future temples, the one in the tribulation period, that John in Revelation chapter 11 was told to measure, and then, of course, that temple in the future that Jesus will build, and that's given to us, as Tom Meyer told us, in Ezekiel 40 to 48. As you say, Jimmy, we've been up there so many times, and we always
1: had, uh, or at least I always had a unique feeling as we go up there. You know how important it is to us as Christians as well. I know on our tours and on our trips, we based our whole trip upon the fact that we had to get those people that we are taking, to Israel, we had to get them up on the Temple Mount. It's the most important place that we go in the entire trip. It
0: is the most holiest site, as Dad used to say, on the earth, and it really is. When you look in Scripture, that's why there's this battle. That is taking place today it started all the way back in the Garden of Eden and will continue all the way until Satan is defeated and the millennial kingdom is set up but uh, I agree with you Uh, we would sit in line we would get there early we would stand we would have to go through the uh, metal detectors uh, no touching men and women couldn't touch one another you couldn't take a Bible up there Uh, again one of those things that were put in place to control people that would go up onto the Temple Mount. And yes, you would get a special feeling by being up there.
1: That also reminds me when we would have our prayer up there after one of us spoke, we would always keep our eyes open because we didn't want to let them know that we were praying. But God heard our prayers yeah. from that the holiest spot in the world. Well, uh, you know, I'd like to talk in just a second about the importance of this third temple that's going to be built up there. But I also I wanted to take a moment to recognize Sharam Hadian and the the valuable insight that he brings to us about why the Muslims or the Islamic world values the Temple Mount area.
0: Yeah, you know sitting today sharam brought out some things and i teach on on this all the time you and i have talked about it we do conferences on it but sharam brought out uh, some big major errors that are contained in the quran and that are propagated by you know muslim clerics which just gives to me the fact that Islam is a false religion with a false God, a false book. And we learned today from Sharam that he's deceiving so many people, and there are so many people dying for what they think is the right way. Well, my
1: next question for you, Jimmy, and this is one thing that I think we always need to clarify because I'm not sure that everybody understands, but we have part of our ministry for so many years now has been looking at the arrangements to build the third temple and i I just want you to explain to our people why is it so important that this temple be built what's important about this process is this going to be the temple that jesus christ rules and reigns from
0: this temple and everything that is being done right now the temple institute people that are motivated to rebuild the temple religious jews Uh, They're doing it because this is what God has put in place. This is what he has talked about. Daniel mentioned it in Daniel chapter 9. Jesus mentioned it in Matthew chapter 24. Paul mentioned it in 2 Thessalonians. And then, of course, John was told to measure that temple that will be there in the future. But Ezekiel's temple is the one that Jesus Christ will rule and reign from. This next temple is... That the controversy is over. That the Jewish people are ready to build, you know, right now if they could. That the Antichrist will come on the scene. He will allow them to build that temple. He will allow them to uh, to put it up. Uh, what, however, the Dome of the Rock, uh, Al Aqsa Mosque, the Muslims will be put off, and I believe, Rick, that that's what draws the the Islamic world to the city of Jerusalem to try to wipe it out, and that is given to us in the book of Joel. Ezekiel chapter 38, that hook that's put in that, that the jaw of that animal and draws them to the city of Jerusalem. So as we see this today, it really does give us information about the future and what's going to take place, and it is important as the body of Christ to understand how it is going to play out. But we can see as things are taking place and heating up how how volatile this topic is. So one other question or one thing that we also like to point
1: out, these arrangements that are being made for this temple, this temple is going to be built and stand during the tribulation and before the tribulation, the rapture of the church. So this is an event pointing towards the rapture of the church.
0: Yes. In fact, Rick, with everything that we've seen today, and as we do this program from week to week, we really just realize how much closer we are to the rapture of the church. And that's really what Bible prophecy is used for. It's used to motivate us to live a pure and productive life as we understand the times in which we're living. And we are living in the last days. We're living uh, and and what's happening in our world are setting up for events that take place in the tribulation period. Well, Rick, our time is gone for today. Thanks for doing all the hard work. And uh, let's just keep watching world events in the light of God's prophetic word.
1: Well, that's true, Jimmy. There's so much taking place in the world today and that's causing us to look towards the rapture. As Dad always used to
4: say whenever he closed out the program, let's keep looking up until...